Hello and welcome to the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday. It is Sunday, the 12th of June, Sunday of the long weekend here in Victoria and in many places around Australia. Wherever you're listening, whether it's in Australia or around the world, I hope you're having a wonderful weekend, whether it's a long one or not. Of course, today, the Minister for NDIS and Government Services, Bill Shorten, was on Insiders. And what an insight he gave us into the thinking of the Albanese government around the NDIS. Of course, there's a lot of discussion at the moment about inflation and gas prices and what we should do about energy. And just very briefly, let me say, on the issue of gas prices, Australians pay more for Australian gas than overseas customers pay for Australian gas. That's the legacy of the Morrison government. That's the legacy of Angus Taylor as energy minister. And that's what Labor is trying to fix. We are one of the world's largest exporters of gas. And yet we are talking about gas shortages and huge gas price spikes. The Australian Workers Union, the CFMEU, many unions around the country are all saying that we desperately need policy in this country that allows Australian resources to be first and foremost used for Australian purposes. Seems like a pretty straightforward and normal proposition. So straightforward and normal, in fact, that countries as diverse as Norway and Saudi Arabia both do it, as does countries like Malaysia and Qatar. These are countries that export natural resources, but also make sure that their domestic needs are met. It's possible, folks, if a socially democratic country like Norway and an absolute kingdom like Saudi Arabia can find a way to make it work. Surely a country as developed and as democratic as Australia can find a way to make it work as well. And we hope that the Labor government will be able to find a way through. Of course, there's lots of media pressure on this, but let's remember we've had a decade of Morrison, Dutton, Angus Taylor destruction when it comes to energy policy in this country. And now the job of fixing it falls once again to Labor. Talking of fixing things, Bill Shorten went on Insiders and laid out his plans to fix the NDIS, such a crucial part of our economy and our society, and really stressing the point about how it's a crucial part of our economy. There's been a lot of talk over the last 10 years by the Liberals about how much the NDIS quote-unquote costs. Of course, what they haven't done is engaged people in the conversation about what the NDIS delivers. The assumption is that the NDIS delivers care to people with a disability. Well, not only does it assist Australians with disabilities, it actually grows our economy. Recent studies have found that for every dollar invested into the NDIS, $2.25 economic benefit is generated for Australia. How can that be, Ben? Isn't this just a social welfare program? Well, the answer is no, it's not. It's not a social welfare program. It's a program designed to assist and facilitate the active participation of Australians with disabilities in Australian society, which includes the Australian economy. Through the NDIS, through the services and support that people access, not only are people with a disability more able to engage in economic activity, so are their family members, their formerly unpaid carers, 
and other parts of their community. The NDIS not only creates jobs in the caring side of the economy, it also facilitates economic activity in other sections of our community as well. Those benefits have not been well explained, primarily because the Liberal Party and its ideological lens that it applies to programs like the NDIS sees it as a social welfare program. That's why they put in place so many barriers to access. That's why they were prepared to waste so much taxpayer money on lawyers to keep people out of the NDIS. That's why they have allowed the entire system to become riddled with rorts and schemes and scandals and shams. Now, that's not to say that the entire NDIS is broken or doesn't work. Clearly, for some people, it works very well. But there are many people for whom it doesn't work at all. And there are large sections of the workforce that are essentially now either trapped in some form of exploitation through digital sham contracting or dealing with massive staff shortages because the way the system is structured they're not able to find workers to fulfill those positions. And I can give you a classic example. I'm aware of at least one training organization that despite being in an area that is crying out for disability support workers, is unable to find anyone, anyone prepared to undertake training to become a disability support worker. Now, even though they're almost guaranteed employment, the wages are so low, the level of outsourcing so high, and the conditions so poor that people do not wish to do the work. Now, how has it come to this? Well, David Spears and Bill Shorten talked about it quite openly and frankly, and it was one of the better interviews on Insiders we've seen for some time. 90% of the work that's done through the NDIS is done now through unregistered providers. Unregistered providers who have no minimum award standards, who don't necessarily have to be qualified, who are not covered by the Quality Safety Commission, who are not audited, and who have no minimum levels of training. 90% are unregistered. When you talk to people in other countries that have similar, if not the same, but similar programs as the NDIS, and you describe to them that there's a registered and an unregistered stream, they can't believe it. How can there be a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar government program where anybody can simply rock up, submit an invoice, and as long as it's signed off by the program participant, they'll get paid? Well, that's what we have in this country. Now, that's not the fault of people with disabilities. That's the fault of the Liberal government. That's the interpretation the Liberal government has put on the phrase choice and control. This is a catch-all phrase. And it's understandable that when we moved from a system where people with disabilities were locked in institutions, often physically, medically restrained, often subject to some of the most heartbreaking and inexcusable abuses one can possibly imagine, that putting the choices and control of their own lives in the hands of people with disabilities is absolutely key to making sure the system works. And nobody contests that. I certainly don't contest that. I think it's absolutely vital. What I will contest is that a laissez-faire free market 
no regulation model is the same as choice and control. And I'll give you this example. If somebody comes to the house to fix an electronic device, fix the lighting, a plumber comes, a builder comes to build an extension, all of those people have to be registered. They have to have minimum levels of training. They have to meet certain quality and safety guidelines. They have to be more regulated than someone who can come every day to someone's home, get them out of bed, wash them, feed them, take them where they need to go all day under no scrutiny, no supervision, bring them home at night, feed them under no quality control, undress them and put them into bed. Now, the person who does all of that work should be someone that you can trust. They should be someone that you know has been vetted properly, someone that you know meets minimum standards, that you know is not a criminal, that you know is properly trained, that you know is properly paid, that you know will look after you, assist you, provide you with support in the best possible way. Now, the reason why we've set up regulatory frameworks is to ensure that those basic hygiene checks are done as part of what everyone can assume has happened. So that you don't have to, as an individual, check that the financial advisor meets the financial advisor standards. They either do or they're not allowed to practice. You don't have to check that your doctor's qualifications are genuine. They either are genuine or they face severe penalties. There are standards that must be met. And there should be standards in the provision of disability support services as well. Now, Bill Shorten made the point that he wants to make sure that the people delivering personal care services have to be registered and have minimum qualifications. That is a huge step in the right direction. He wants to make sure that they're paid the proper award, make sure they're qualified. Quote, make sure that someone employed through an internet platform, that they are paid properly. Because the vast majority, the vast majority of unregistered providers in the NDIS are coming through sham contracting platforms and using things like Facebook groups to advertise their services. There are some really good employers. There are some platform employers in this space. Those employers are constantly being undermined by sham contracting, by cowboys, by, and this came out today in the Insider's interview between Spears and Bill Shorten, they're being undermined by organised crime. Organised crime has found its way into this laissez-faire, free market, cowboy wonderland. It is a disgrace, and it is one of the greatest shames of the Morrison-Dutton period of Australian government. 
Yes, there is overcharging. There is sham contracting. There is organized crime. There's even foreign private equity coming into the NDIS because they see the potential for profit, for profit. So there's a lot of work to be done. There are some state jurisdictions that are trying to deal with some of these issues. Victoria has a worker registration scheme. Now, unfortunately, it doesn't apply to everyone. It's not mandatory. It does. If you're not registered with that scheme, you can still access NDIS payments if somebody signs off on them for you. These things have to be addressed. There has to be a full integration. And pleasingly, Bill Shorten talked about bringing people with disabilities, providers, workers to the table to figure out how to fix these problems. And they have to be fixed quickly because we are now nearly 10 years into having the NDIS. It does cost billions. The economic benefits are exponential if we administer it properly. It was pleasing for many people, myself included, to see the CEO of the National Disability Insurance Agency resign this week. Hopefully, between his resignation, Bill Shorten's very positive statements today on insiders, we will come to a new beginning for the NDIS that delivers on its purpose. That means that workers aren't engaged in a race to the bottom on wages, that quality is insured by proper regulation, and that people with disabilities have genuine choice and control because they're making those choices in a framework that is properly regulated and they're controlling the elements which they can see not being negatively impacted by things happening below the surface, by people who are dodgy, by organized crime, by exploitative foreign private equity, by digital sham contractors, by rip-off merchants who are keeping their insidious activity hidden beneath the surface. In my mind, that would restore genuine choice and control into the system for people with disabilities. Of course, the NDIS really stands out as an example where toxic corporate culture has had a huge impact on the lives of hundreds of thousands of Australians. And one of the things I want to talk about today is how over the last decade, toxic corporate culture has ripped at the very fabric of Australian society and the very notion of what it means to have a fair go in this country. There's no question that the NDIS has been polluted by this culture. Everything from the CEO of digital sham contracting platform Mabel having a $15 million harborside mansion and getting a $5.8 million contract to deliver aged care services, even though he later admitted under questioning in the Senate that Mabel has no capacity to ensure that the workers it provided during the pandemic under that contract to aged care facilities were actually qualified or able to do that work because it is, quote, just a platform. This is a company full of liberal donors, full of foreign private equity, and yet this individual, the CEO of this company, is consistently held up as a pillar of the community. He is profiting, profiting from the NDIS. 
huge profits, $15 million harborside mansion profits. Of course, he's not alone, and he's not even the worst of this kind of culture. He's just one example. The most outrageous examples are people like Alan Joyce, anyone around Australia who's tried to fly Qantas in the last six months knows that Qantas is a bin fire of a company when it comes to the provision of service. Alan Joyce has successfully, successfully broken the nexus between customer service and company outcomes. During the pandemic, Qantas was worth around $3.3 billion. And of course, like many airlines, it faced an existential crisis because of lockdowns, travel restrictions, and the pandemic generally. The Morrison government handed out $2 billion to Alan Joyce and Qantas to keep it afloat. Keeping in mind, at that time, the value of the entire company was only around $3.3 billion. Alan Joyce took the $2 billion, and here's what he did with it. He bought a competitor airline, Alliance Airlines, for some $614 million. He bought 299 new planes, retiring his old fleet early to get a huge depreciation write-off and putting in orders for half of those planes and putting the rest on as an option. This meant he now has a state-of-the-art fleet. He undercut ticket prices of his largest competitor, Virgin, who of course themselves went into administration and was bought out by a foreign private equity firm. He unlawfully underpaid wages and allowances for staff between the years 2011 and 2019, millions of dollars in underpayments. He tried to cancel the employment agreements of the cabin crew for international flights to drive them down to the minimum award. And of course, he unlawfully sacked 2,000 ground crew. These are the people who handle the baggage. These are the people who, properly trained and properly remunerated, make sure that you and your luggage get where you need to go when you need to get there. Tweet after tweet after tweet after tweet, media story after media story shows that the firing, the unlawful sacking of those workers has resulted in huge disruption, huge delay, and huge misplacement of baggage. Alan Joyce could not care less. Alan Joyce is on a winner. And let me tell you why. Not only has Alan Joyce himself gone off and bought a $20 million mansion, Harborside Mansion, I believe, but the value of Qantas has skyrocketed and is now over $7 billion. Alan Joyce took $2 billion of our money at a time when his company was worth only $3 billion. He then proceeded to unlawfully sack people. It came out that he had underpaid people. He used the money to buy out competitors. He used the money to undercut the prices of his competitors. He used the money to write off his fleet and buy new planes. He effectively rebuilt Qantas on the back of our money. 
and in the process of doing so, destroyed the lives and livelihoods of thousands and thousands of Australian workers. Not only that, it has then had a negative impact on the services that Qantas provides. Yet the value of his shares, which as CEO he has plenty of, has massively increased. All of Alan Joyce's actions, all of the pain that he has caused to Australian people, whether they worked for Qantas, flew with Qantas, were somehow connected to Qantas, has resulted in Alan Joyce being even richer than he was before. Now, if a board heard that the CEO and management were acting unlawfully when it comes to the environment, when it comes to cultural heritage, when it comes to any number of other areas, the board would sack the managers. But in Australia's corporate culture, unlawful behaviour towards workers, unlawful behaviour towards workers that results in negative customer outcomes isn't punished at all. In fact, the market has rewarded Alan Joyce and its board. The board of Qantas will all have shares in Qantas. They will all now be richer because of the actions of Alan Joyce. This is a perverse outcome and perverse incentives are in place that create this outcome. Alan Joyce is not alone. We've already discussed Mabel. It's not just in monopoly airlines or government-funded spaces, but even in something that you would think is highly competitive, something like hospitality, restaurants, pubs. This happens as well. Justin Hems has an estimated net fortune of $1.4 billion. Justin Hems has been found to have underpaid his staff by $129 million. He refuses to pay the money back. He refuses. He says there will be no settlement with these workers, that he does not owe them the money. He doesn't deny. He doesn't deny that they weren't paid the money. He denies their right to it, even though a court has found those workers were entitled to it. Now, Justin Hems has a $100 million harborside mansion. Justin Hems is on the New South Wales Premier's advisory panel on hospitality and tourism. Justin Hems was being called and advising the Morrison government during the pandemic, even though at that point it was known that he had engaged in these wage underpayments, this wage theft. And in fact, Justin Hems justifies this behaviour, justifies it in public, on the record, because it allowed him to buy more venues, to increase his control over the market, to increase the number of staff who he could effectively rip off to prop up his profit line. This is a man who is described variously as a playboy, as a socialite, as 
Recently as June 4th, the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age wrote a piece about Justin Hems, which frankly could not have been nicer to him if he had written it himself. It is disgustingly sycophantic. And that's one of the problems. Alan Joyce was given an Order of Australia. He was made Business Leader of the Year. Justin Hems is given puff pieces and put on Premier's advisory panels. These people are stealing money from workers. They are refusing to repay it. They are acting unlawfully, and yet they are held up as pillars of our community. They are insidious. They are undermining programs like the NDIS, like air travel, like the ability to go out, have a meal, have a drink, and know that the people who are serving you are paid properly, are respected in their workplace, are not having nervous breakdowns, losing their families, losing their homes. The stories of the workers who are impacted by people like Alan Joyce and Justin Hems. That's what the media should talk about, not the plethora of luxury vehicles that sits in Justin Hems's garage, not the Order of Australia that Alan Joyce gets to pin on his jacket every time he walks into a board meeting. These people are acting unlawfully. They are acting unlawfully. They are running companies that act unlawfully. They are making decisions that make those companies do unlawful things. And the consequences, the consequences of those unlawful actions are borne by the workers and the communities of Australia. And yet these CEOs, these multimillionaires, these in some cases billionaires, not only rub shoulders with members of the Liberal Party, hold fundraisers for members of the Liberal Party, have Liberal Party donors on their boards. Not only do they get to waltz about town and be playboys and socialites and business people of the year, they are given huge sums of money. They profit. They profit from this behaviour. It is disgraceful. So when we hear Bill Shorten talk about the NDIS, when we hear him discuss the problems in the system of the NDIS, we need to remember that the culture, the corporate culture that has infected programs like the NDIS is rife throughout our economy. And after a decade of liberal misrule in this country, that kind of corporate culture must be cut out it must be removed. And people like Alan Joyce and Justin Hems can no longer be held up as examples of business leaders, of socialites, of people who understand their industry. Instead, they must be held up as examples of lawbreakers, examples of unethical and unscrupulous and un-Australian values. They must be held up as people not to be admired, but to be admonished. 
These people shouldn't be put on a pillar. They should be pilloried. And every single business leader who behaves like this, who allows their company to act unlawfully, who profits from that unlawful behaviour, should be drummed out, drummed out of Australian business communities and absolutely stripped of any honours that they've received during their time leading those companies. Because, frankly, friends, they are, they are the problem. It's been a slightly longer rant today. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed the weekend wrap. Of course, there are unions operating in all of these spaces. The NDIS, hospitality, uh, of course, in the airlines as well. And the unions have been raising these issues for years. If you're in any of these spaces, in fact, in any space, you need to be a member of your union because we know that these unscrupulous CEOs and senior managers exist. And until we manage to drum them out, the best defence, the best way of protecting your, your rights at work, your wages, your conditions, is to be a member of your union. And you should join australianunions.org.au slash wow. That's australianunions.org.au slash wow, W-O-W, to join your union. You can do that right now. And, of course, Van will join me again on Wednesday for the week on Wednesday. And a big thank you to everyone who supports our page, our buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday. Audience is continuing to grow. We hope that you will get this message out to people. Like, share, comment, leave reviews on Apple Podcasts. Until then, remember to be kind to yourself and to each other.